Hello, and welcome to the Rudo Love Podcast, a mini-series of interviews and anecdotes tailored for the inquisitive souls of today. In this episode, I anecdotally explore the power of poetry. So I'll start us off with a poem that I've just discovered. Sometimes, as an antidote to fear of death, I eat the stars. Those nights, lying on my back, I suck them from the quenching dark till they are all, all inside of me, pepper-hot and sharp. Sometimes, instead, I stir myself into a universe still young, still warm as blood. No outer space, just space. The light of all the not-yet stars, drifting like a bright mist, and all of us and everything already there, but unconstrained by form. And sometimes it's enough to lie down here on earth, beside our long ancestral bones, to walk across the cobble fields of our discarded skulls, each like a treasure, like a chrysalis, thinking, Whatever left these husks flew off on bright wings. That poem is called The Antidotes to Fear of Death by Rebecca Elson. Mm. Powerful, eh? Power of poetry. It's, um, it's in this solidity of its presence. It's, um, it's in our lives while being totally unraveled and, and mysterious. My favorite poems and, and poets are exam exemplars of this duality. I mean, take Anne Carson, for example. She's so mysterious. <laughs> A New York Times bio piece by Sam Anderson stated, Carson gives the impression on the page and at readings of someone from another world, either extraterrestrial or ancient for whom our modern earthly categories are too artificial and simplistic to contain anything like the real truth she is determined to communicate. <laughs> you know, I get that. <sighs> and um, Rebecca Elson, the um, woman who wrote that poem that I started out with, you know, she's an interesting stole, soul. I, when I read that poem anecdotes to fear of death <laughs> it's, a, it's a confronting title but um i knew that i wanted to read that to you i also immediately looked her up so that i could talk about her i wanted to know her as well and i stumbled across this piece written about her and i mean she's written about a lot actually she's um, that poem um, is quite beloved out there. It's quite zeitgeisty, so I, I must have been just um, channeling the right time in the right place. And um, this uh, article in The Guardian um, spoke about her very early untimely death. Um, and she was an astronomer. So this career in this male-dominated world that she navigated... Um, there's an essay that she wrote that spoke about her postdoctorate uh, fellowship at Princeton and how she was really confronted and very uncomfortable with the um, 
men in the astronomy um, department and that she found solace in the poetry society there at Princeton. I just love that that idea. And I, I understand that, the bomb that um, poem, poetry, poets can, they can harbor us in moments where, you know, a linear uh, space is too harsh. Those hard lines are, are too painful or, um, you know, they don't fit the, the feminine container that she was. And I mean, after she died, um, her husband, Angelo DeCintio, and her friend and poet, Anne Berkeley, um, published her work. And uh, they don't even really know uh, when she wrote that poem, Antidote to Fear of Death, um, Antidotes, um, which, you know, is part of the interesting mystery of it all. Did she write that before she knew she was dying of cancer? Um, you know, while she was getting treatment, um, while she was in remission, um, when it came back and she finally did succumb. I mean, they just don't know when she wrote it. Um, so beautiful. And I love that she had uh, a poem, a poet friend um, who understood that, that she was brilliant. And her friend, Anne Berkeley, um, I have a poem written by her that I wanted to read as my second poem for you, if you're ready. So this one's called um, Brian in the All Night Cafe. He's on his second cup and does it again. Tears carefully apart with both hands, little finger flicking the shushing cascade. He stares as if his whole life centered on this ritual of sugaring, stirs it into circles that draw him down and down. While he's drinking his coffee, he will think of his wife's habit of clearing her throat before she speaks. That little <clears throat> he wants to stop, but it's been too long now. He hardly, he's hardly aware of when it started. It was suddenly always there, announcing the least mention of dinner, of rain. He has another packet of sugar. Turning, tapping it. Forefinger and thumb, turning and tapping. And it's been so long, he can hardly mention it now. And even if he did, she wouldn't be able to stop, so why make two of them unhappy? turning and tapping the unopened sachet of brown sugar on the yellow formica. But perhaps he should say something now so she knows to get out of his way. One day it will become unbearable as it nearly has. And he reaches for the sloped cup, thick white handle. Yeah that was published in 2009 and um, I just I love those two pieces together because they're entirely different in scope and intent um, but they're both highly visual for me and elicit strong impulse <laughs> for me to gather up myself to brace for something coming you know and, and, and so here we are 
most of the time in our lives, bracing for the next wave, an onslaught of information, of incidences. There's so much going on today. And the increasing pressure we are putting on this beautiful blue-green earth makes me think of another poem. Which I'll leave you with as my closing message. Um, yeah, this is this has been uh, a short episode, but I wanted it to be an opportunity to just share poems, messages of hope, but also solid truth. And I intend to do more than just brace for this next wave. I intend to rise. And I rise and offer myself as another peaceful warrior to save our earth as we save ourselves. So, here you are. Love Letter to the World by Frank X. Walker. I love you, world. Love your seven different faces. Love your healing waters, wide and deep. Love the thing you have with the sun and the moon and what it teaches us about companionship, about change, about revolution. Love the mirror at your navel, how it shows off your hemispheres, illustrating important lessons about balance, about reflection, about centering ourselves. Love how much, like, little worlds we are, how our earthquake is your shiver, your sneeze a tsunami, an avalanche, a mudslide. When you have hot flashes, we call it drought. You once covered your whole body with ice to cool a fever. When you weep daily, over our continued ignorance, our epic failures and petty squabbles, our every transgression, your waters break and we're born again. Love your outreach, our mutual attraction, your gravitational pull. For every treasure we steal from your womb, you send us hail and thunderstorms. When we invent poisons, and no anecdotes, and build monuments to ourselves, you send tornadoes and hurricanes to remind us of how small we truly are. And yet, every day, you continue to humble, inspire, move us to tears with your natural beauty. Your own, our own efforts to mimic your vistas are what we dare call art and dance, music and poetry, architecture, language, and love. It is the only thing we have ever gotten right. We can't pass the course on humanity if we keep failing the lessons on harmony. And until we unlearn fear and hate. Thank you, world for this open book exam before us, for still believing we are worthy of your love. We who love you black already know 
that everything we do to you, we also do to ourselves. I mean, (laughs) can you just, I can't, it's just, God, that poem is so amazing. (laughs) Oh, Frank. Anyways, those are my three poems for you. Um, I think that when I, when it came time to hit record, I was really wanting to share not just the poetry, but also the, um, role that solace, uh, has played in my life, you know, and I have almost a reverse story, uh, that Rebecca Elson has in the sense that she was in this academic linear world, um, of astronomy and, um, she found solace in poetry and I was in university, um, at, you know, half institution, half, uh, liberal arts college. And here I was studying fine art and, um, immersed in the creative process of just being and learning about these tools of creativity. And I was really overwhelmed and I needed solace from the uh, New York way of teaching art. And so if, you know, if I hadn't been at a school that also had liberal arts classes, I don't know where I would have been today. And one of those classes that I was so lucky to take was Chinese philosophy. And, you know, maybe it's not as um, rigid as astronomy and you know physics and things like that but it was my solace (laughs) nonetheless and a a real break for me and I needed it and it was so nourishing to be able to delve into something that wasn't art that wasn't this pretense of of the institution of art and so yeah I just want to thank the world that gives us the opportunity to delve and also to create harbor the creative process within, you know, structures and form and rationality and time and structure. And I said that already, but patterns are important. And I think if I want anything to be the takeaway for you, dear listeners, is read more poetry. And when you've read a lot of poetry, then go and try to decode the universe in some other way. Look at the stars, understand the constellations and the planets above us and below us. These things are truly the gift of our humanity. And do your part to save the world. I know I will. Ah, thank you. Thank you for being here. And I hope you enjoyed my little poetry reading. Also, um, coming up for the next episode, you will be amazed and delighted once again for another ooh ooh interview. I'm doing it with an incredible um, woman here in Aotearoa. But if you have any uh, suggestions or desire to be interviewed by me, by all means reach out. I love you all. Ka kite anoa ho.
Jakoj.